We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Good morning, Grinders! Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter, and it's Tuesday, June twenty first. Is it? It's the it's the first day of summer, right? Is it? It's technically. I think it's technically the first day of summer. I think it's going to be ninety six degrees here in Louisville, Kentucky. I think tomorrow's going to be a hundred. So it's hot out there. It's hot out there. The balls in baseball maybe fly it out today. Uh, give me those thumbs ups on your way in the door. It helps us out a lot. My little box here. My little box. Give me those thumbs ups. I see you guys in the chat. Suki Singh here is early as usual. Good morning. Doug Montgomery. Matt Mears. Got a bunch of guys in there. Right. You can always type in anything you want. Ask whatever you want. Do whatever you want in the YouTube chat. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. We've got a 13-game MLB slate today. They'll have that all covered for you on Grinders Live later today at 5 o'clock. 6.20 is crunch time. And that's uh, with uh, Kevin Roth. I don't know, Roth may be on vacation or something. But uh, I don't know. That It's a good week to go on vacation for Roth because I think it's just like there's not. it's not raining anywhere and it's hot as hell. So I don't even know if you're going to need a weather report today, but they'll be they'll be taking care of you leading up to lock for the baseball slate today. Uh, but but yesterday uh, we had uh, we had eight game baseball slate. And if you watched the show yesterday with me and James, I, I, I I've been I've been in this mode. OK, and it was on the, the theory of DFS podcast. If you, if you check that out, a recent episode came out yesterday and the one before it that that with the amount of offerings there are 
uh, in, in the DFS space. I mean, people think, oh, DFS is going down. No, it's actually going up. Okay. There's more offerings. Uh, you should be focused more. I mean, I, I'm kind of like, like if, if, you, if you took my course, the theory of DFS course, defining your edge and, and going after the, the best edges that you could have. Okay. So focusing more on that than on what everyone else is doing, what everyone else is playing. Now, in the large field contest, it typically, I typically gravitate towards back to the large field contest because that jet, that those contests typically have the most casual players. No, it also has a lot of the serious players, but you know, it's a field of 30,000 and they're, they're easily 20% of the entries are practically dead for first place based on how they're constructed, how low they're projected, how high they're owned or something like that, that there's, there's a humongous edge in the large field contests in every sport. The issue with that is realizing your, your edge, especially with the top heavy payouts. So the opponents that you're playing against are always going to be the biggest determinant of, of your edge, of your profitability. So in a large field GPP, it's about how many, and it's not about necessarily how many like pros are in the contest. It's how many bad players, very similar to poker, right? In poker, you go to a nine handed table and you could see six, like of the greatest players in the world there. And then you see two people that are, that are horrible. You could be an average player, right? A better than average player, not as good as the six, the six best in the world, and make money in that game just off of the two people that are horrible. Okay, so people get people get so bogged down with oh that, that's I don't want to go against the pros or anything, right? It's like no, you want to go against the weakest field possible. So that's why I tend to gravitate towards the large field contest because that makes the most sense. It's just it's hard to win those. Right, your expectation over a long period of time is positive, but you have to you have to survive weeks, if not months, of losing in order to have that one that one fifty k finish, that one twenty k finish. Even if you're playing lower stakes, if you're playing the mini max or something, it takes a while. And then when you hit that, then you you show a 40 percent profit, even though you've lost a whole bunch of times along the way. But that isn't just the edge. That, that in and of itself, your opponents being weak isn't the edge. Your opponents being predictable is an, is an edge as well. So to relate it back to poker, and I used to play poker for a living. Uh, I made most of my money not off the worst players. I made most of my money off of average players based on my, my playing style, my strengths at the poker table. And I played mostly live. Okay, my strengths at the poker table was reading hands of average players. How do average players play and exploiting their play? The worst players at the table, there's no point in exploiting their play. I don't, they don't even know how they're playing, right? So typically against the worst players at the table, you just value bet, right? Just make a good hand and bet. There's no, there's no deception really there because they don't even know it. They're not even considering your hand and they don't even know what they're doing, right? So sometimes they think they have a good hand. You feel like they think they have a good hand and actually they don't have a good hand. You have a hand that beats them. There are times where they think they have a weak hand and they should be they should be shoving in with it and uh, they're scared of something on the board or whatever. So like those really bad players, they kind of play, you typically just play straightforward. They'll wait to get a hand and get paid off. 
right? It's not that hard to do. But average players, very easy to manipulate bet sizes and no limit, especially, right? Get them to think one way and think the other. They think a certain way, you act like an average player and you manipulate them. So it's very easy to figure out what, it's very easy to narrow down their range of hands based on their betting actions, especially watching them for hours upon hours at a time. You profile them and it's like, okay, could if I get check raised right here, I could just throw away this hand that no one else would have thrown away because I know what my opponent has. Like this person is not capable of doing this, this, this check raise bluff move, right? So that was my strength of value betting and knowing when to fall, losing the least at the poker table, predicting other people's hands, especially average players. Now the good players, they mix up their play enough that, that you're, you're constantly playing a game of chicken with them. Okay. I get that, but that dynamic exists in DFS and I've mentioned it multiple times. It's just that I've always focused on the large field GPPs to go like, why don't I just go where I just need to value that, right? Okay. 20%, 25% of these lineups are over the rake. Why don't I just build plus EV lineups and just wait for the money to come, right? Yes. I'm going to be on prolonged down swings until I get a big blip, a big spike up, but maybe there's a better way. Maybe there are other edges out there that are, are as profitable, but take on less risk. Because that's, to me, that's the holy grail. Holy grail. What's more profitable with for less risk? And we talk about this 121 single entry contest on DraftKings for, for MLB. That is an exploitable contest because you can predict lineups. Because ownership gets much more condensed than it should be, especially in a high variance sport like, like MLB. So we see here, I brought up in Results DB the $12 chin music because we don't have the 121 in here. I'll show you a little bit of the 121 over here. But if we take a look at the ownership, like in the large, if we go to the large field contest, like let's say go to, let's go to the Minimax, which is the largest field, right? We go there and we take a look at the ownership. Garrett Cole, okay, outside of the pitchers who are the least variant players in baseball. So just the batters. Trout at 30, Devers at 28, Taylor Ward at 19, Bogarts at 19, Moreno at 16, O'Neill Cruz at 15, Vlad at 15, Otani 14. Okay, you get those. Okay, now let's go to the $12 single entry, which is 2,800 entries compared to 58,000. Mike Trout was 46% owned. Raphael Devers was 44% owned. O'Neill Cruz, 29. Bogarts, 26. Moreno, 25. Ward, 24. Like they're way more owned in these contests. And the same thing for the, the 121. So obviously this contest is 2,800 entries. So it's not that small of a field, but the 121 is like 600 entries. And also the ownership in the 121 is very similar to cash ownership. Not as not as high, but if, if there's large field ownership, there's cash ownership, 121 leans a lot towards the double up, triple up type of ownership. And if you're building lineups like this, these lineups are very correlative to each other. Okay, so this is this is what I this is what I mentioned yesterday. And we have people in chat uh, uh, talking about this as well. Uh, the, the Daniel says uh, the dynamic you describe for poker is strongest for limit games. Limit Omaha eight in particular. There's very little difference between a very good player and a world class player if two fish are in the game. That's absolutely that's correct, right? They talk about poker in here. Uh, okay. So, uh, so if you knew 
if you knew how people were building their lineups in baseball, especially this may not be as true in basketball. It's going to be true, but not the, the effect isn't going to be as dramatic. Okay. This is my, my theory is correct. The extent in which you could exploit it. That's to me, that's, that's what I'm trying to figure out because I know it's exploitable just that what is the best way to exploit it is, is what I'm trying to figure out. Okay. So in this contest, Mike Trout, 46%, Raphael Devers, 44%, O'Neill Cruz, 29%, Gabriel Moreno, 25%. Like how many of these lineups have all of these players in it? Like all of them. So most likely lineups that have Taylor Ward have Mike Trout in it because of just purely of stacking. And lineups that have Devers and Bogarts are more likely to be together because of stacking. But if people are playing cash type lineups where they're not stacking as much, and they're just throwing in their cash lineup. Like Mike Trout, even if you just do product ownership, 0.46 for Trout. We're not counting the pitchers. 0.44 for Devers, right? Times uh, O'Neill Cruz, right? 0.29. So those three players combined make up about 6% of all the lineups in this contest. And this is a 2,800-person contest. Okay, so 5 6%. I mean, this is a lot of lineups. Then you add someone like Gabriel Moreno at, at, at Taylor Ward or something, right? You put 0.24, right? With that down to like 1.4% of lineups have all of them in it. And this is the $12 single entry. So like if one, let's say, let's say uh, between two, let's say just Trout and Devers, for instance, let's, let's make it very minimal. So Trout and Devers together, we should expect about 20% of lineups to have them both together. Well, what happens if one of them fails? Well, all the Devers lineups go down also because they're correlated with each other, right? If you have Trout, Devers, Garrett Cole, and O'Neill Cruz in your lineup, and let's say one of them gets a zero, well, that's a lot of Trout. That's a lot of lineups with Trout. Even if Trout got 17 points, well, a lot of those 17-point lineups have a zero from one of these other guys. So, like, the only way that you really get killed by all of them is either by one outlier performance, like if Trout puts up 40, or they all smash. Other than that, you'd rather not be correlated with all of these players together. Can you have one of them? Sure. But should you have, like, four or five of them in your lineup? It would be much better from a relative value standpoint to not have that combination. And we can take a look here. I downloaded the 121, and I'm just looking at the most duplicated lineups. And the 121 is about like what, 600, 630 entries. So we take a look at the, a lineup that's duplicated four times Cole, Darvish, Otani, Rangifo, Devers, Cruz, Moreno, Trout, Ward, Duran. Four times. This was, this was, uh, uh, some optimal, this was an optimal around around the industry. Now, this lineup over here with McClanahan and Torkelson, I have no idea why it's duplicated three times. It is a it is a Blue Jays stack. It is an Espinal, Chapman, uh, Springer, Hernandez. Uh, or is it? It's a four. No, it's not even a stack. So I don't know why that's duplicated three times. But then we have Cole, Darvish, Waltz, Rengifo, Otani, Trout, Ward. So this is the Angel stack. We can see here the primary stack shows here. Three times. Here's a lineup with Vogelback and Whit Merrifield 
Victor Reyes. This is two times. I could, I, if I go down here, this this Garrett Cole lineup right over here, Rangifo, Trout, Benatendi, Grossman, this was the bat optimal. So if you played this lineup over here, this was the, the bat optimal lineup. And uh, I believe if I could find, okay, whoa, okay. I didn't realize they, they go off like that. I believe this, Ortega, this was another site's optimal. If you used another site's projections, this was another optimal lineup, right? Because I think uh, Abrams is, was in summer, or this one, or Suzuki, Trout, Ward, Riley, Green. Yeah, I think this one, but it's very close to this one. Like, take a look how correlated these lineups are to each other. Four, three, three, two, 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 two. So just on this page, we have 7, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20, 22, 24, 20, and we go and we go even further. 24, 26, 28, 30, 32, 34, 36, 38, 40, 42, 44. And we're still look look at these lineups. Yeah, some of them have slightly different players like Darren Roth or something, Matt Duffy. But we have a lot of Devers, a lot of Cruz, Trout, Ward, Grossman, Duran. We go to this one. Okay, now we got a two, what two over here. So there's like like out of all the lineups in the contest, there's 630 lineups in the contest or so. Like 44, 45 or so, which is like what? We're talking about like 8%. What's a 45 divided by 630 or something, right? Yeah, 7% of lineups are actually duplicated, which is horrible, obviously, in GPPs for, for a 630-person contest. But then we still go down to some of these other lineups and – we see so many, like Raphael, in this contest, I think Devers was like 56% owned. I think O'Neill Cruz was like 60% owned. I think Trout was 50 plus percent owned. And there's and all these lineups that have those players are typically together with one another. Okay? So we showed yesterday as far as how does duplication inside of your lineups affect the equity of your, your entry into a contest. Well, that's not just if you duplicate the whole lineup. That's also if you duplicate the combinations of the players. So if we go up here, right, we go up to, uh, you know, here's a Garrett, here's, let's say, here's a lineup. Like how many of these Garrett Cole lineups, right, we don't have one up over here, have Raphael Devers in it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. How many of them have O'Neill Cruz in it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. How many of them have Moreno in it? Well, some have Moreno, some have Suzuki, one has some have Perez. How many have Trout in it? Like all of them, I think. I think, yeah, I think all, no, this one doesn't. This one has Victor Reyes. This is a slightly weirder lineup. So how many have, uh, how many have Taylor Ward in it? How many have, I mean, they're all correlated to each other. They're all 1v1s, 2v2s, or 3v3s, and the rest of the lineup looks exactly the same. Let me make sure to get rid of. We always get these spam porn bots in the channel. Get rid of those. So they don't they don't bother you in the chat. Right. Daniel Hutchings says in the chat, uh, in 121 battery, 14% of lineups had Cruz, Trout, and Devers. Right. 14% of lineups. So imagine avoiding that combination. Like you literally just exit out and build a better lineup. That lineup will project lower. Obviously, the reason why they're owned is because they project higher. But this is not basketball where one guy could project for so much higher that you lose like 10 points in projection by not playing that guy. If you would have crossed out 
yesterday, if you use the bat projections yesterday and you X'd out O'Neill Cruz and just built the next best lineup, you sacrificed less than 0.2 points. Less than less than point, I think it was 0.18 or something. If you just X'd out O'Neill Cruz, if you just X'd out Taylor Ward, you only dropped, I think, 0.3 in projection, in median projection. So between the if you dropped both of them, you're just sacrificing a half a point to not be on a correlated lineup. Now, once you drop when you drop Trout, you drop an, you drop a point and a half with Trout, and you dropped about a point with Devers. So imagine not playing any of those guys. Not, imagine not playing, if you look at this contest, you disregard the pitchers. Pitchers are less varied. So I could understand being on the same pitchers. So to me, if you didn't play Cole, if once you X'd out Cole, you actually dropped like six points in projection. So I could, I could, I can understand not wanting to drop six points in projection by not playing a player. But all these batters, like if you if you would have just X'd out Jaron Duran, Taylor Ward, Mike Trout, Gabriel Marino, O'Neill Cruz, Raphael Devers, Joey Otani, if you would have just or Rangifa, if you would have X'd out like all of them, the 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 best lineup you could make would, would only be like maybe four points lower projection. Four, maybe five, four or five. And it wouldn't have any of these players. Like you'd have none of them. Like you'd end up with more Blue Jays in this. You'd probably end up with Springer, Teoscar. You'd end up with uh, like maybe Matt, like Matt Chapman. You maybe Whit Merrifield, Ben Attendi. You get like Jared Walsh instead of Otani at first base. I mean, it's not like you're getting like one percent owned players, but you're getting different players that are not correlated with the lineups that are the most owned. So if you're playing. I mean, this is the 121. So, like, let's say you're playing three mans. And you know what the other, and you know most likely what the other two lineups in your contest are going to look like. You don't want to be duplicated. And three mans being duplicated is the worst. If you have the same exact lineup, you basically destroyed yourself in a three man. Five man, you pretty much destroyed yourself. So, in a three man, if you don't want to duplicate at all with another person in a full lineup, why would you want to be a 1v1 also? A 1v1 is just above duplicating everything in the lineup. Wouldn't you rather be a 2v2? Wouldn't you rather be a 3v3? Wouldn't you rather be a 4v4? Wouldn't you rather be an 8v8? Would you rather be as, especially if you know the other two lineups are going to be like a 2v2 or a 3v3 at best? Wouldn't you rather be an 8v8? Assuming that you can build a lineup that is a 6v6 or whatever, that is high enough projected that it will win the three-man more than what? 33% more? Like doesn't have to be 33% of the time. And 30% of the time? Something like that? Like what? what is the projection difference? How often do you need to win? How often does... The lineups, uh, what's a better way of putting it? I'm trying to put it in the, the easiest way to understand. Uh, if you're playing, for instance, if player one is playing a lineup with 110 projection, player two is playing a lineup with 110 projection, and you're playing a lineup with 104 projection, how often do you beat the other two lineups when you know the other two lineups are correlated Okay, so it's not you're you're almost playing a semi head to head. So even though it's a three man, 
and you're looking to win that with the rake, like more than 35 point whatever percent of the time, is it possible that when you win 30, that you could actually win at a higher rate only because the other two lineups are too correlated to each other? So if you were to simulate this out, this is something that probably Daniel could do. Right? I think I think Nerdy Tenor is, is more, more equipped to do this than I am. I could possibly set this up. I, I, I may try. I may try in Excel. To run the lineup. So even if you're just running a Monte Carlo on the players, because obviously that's not the best way to do it. To say, like, I'll go into my three, because I I, lo- I checked my three mans on DraftKings and FanDuel yesterday. And it was pretty much my other two opponents had a 2v2. Now, I didn't, I wasn't different enough. I took it, I, t- I didn't take it enough to the extreme. That, that, I think that was my fault yesterday. Would it have changed anything? No. I didn't do badly on FanDuel. I, I did pretty poorly on DraftKings. So I had, I had angels. I had the different angels. I had Walsh and, and, and uh, I didn't have Ward and I didn't have O'Neill Cruz, right? Because I didn't play them because they were too correlated to each other. So, yeah, so I didn't, didn't do well on DraftKings, but on FanDuel, I had the Blue Jays, and I did perfectly fine. But in a three-man, in a five-man, right, that pays out the top two, like in those types of contests, in a top, in a 10-man in a that pays out the top three, like if you knew, if I were able to tell you that in a five-man that what the other four lineups were, that and they were all 2v2s of each other. So all of those four lineups that you're competing against are still unique lineups, but they're still just 2v2s. Like it's one lineup is uh, is uh, Gabriel Marino, a catcher, and uh, Taylor Ward, at outfielder, and Corbin Burns, at pitcher. But it, the next one is the same exact lineup, but it's Darvish, at pitcher, and it's Sal Perez, a catcher, and it's Robbie Grossman, in outfield. So that, like that's the 3v3. But everyone else in you have Devers, you have Cruz, you have Trout, you have Otani, you got everyone else in the lineup the same. So like between those those four lineups, essentially it's like it's like it's Cole, Cole Burns, Cole Burns, Cole Darvish, Cole Darvish, and then like Rangifo in one, and then Abrams in another, and O'Neill Cruz is in all four of those lineups. Mike Trout is in all four of the lineups. Raphael Devers is in all four of those lineups. And like like everything is kind of like a like a 3v3 for all four of those lineups. And then you play a lineup that has like, doesn't have O'Neill Cruz, doesn't have Raphael Devers, doesn't like, doesn't have any of those. And yeah, it projects for like five or six points lower, like median wise. And then based on the fact that how, if, if, if for instance, Raphael Devers does well and Mike Trout does well, like you come in fifth place in that, in that, in that contest. In the three-man, you come in third place. Like, that's easy because you don't have either of those players. And all the other players in your contest have them. But what happens if Raphael Devers puts up a zero and Mike Trout puts up a zero? And then and you're playing George Springer, who still projects well. It just so happens that he's in zero of the lineups, like, because everyone's playing Trout. And you're playing Springer. And Springer has 16 points. Like, how often? And Springer, has, who knows? Springer has nine points. How often does your lineup, because when your lineup beats out one of the 3v3s it probably beats out a lot of the 3v3s because all of those lineups are correlated with each other so is it quite possible that in three mans and five mans if you knew what the likely lineups were going to be or look like somewhat you may not know exactly is it possible that you're kind of almost playing a modified head-to-head that in fact you're you're getting paid 3x or 5x on your money but you're essentially kind of almost playing a, a head-to-head 
because all most of the lineups that you're playing against are correlated with each other. So that in in theory, in my intuition, that makes some amount of sense. That the question comes in into well, what what's the lowest line? What's the what's the lowest lineup that you'll accept that ha, that shows a profit in those scenarios? How much different do you need to be? Do you need to be somewhat different? Do you need to be very how like it, do you need to be a 4v4? Like if it's just the difference of everyone's a 3v3 and you're a 4v4 and that gives you profit like this, well, how much more profit if you're a 5v5? How much more profit than a 6v6, even though your projection goes down a little? Like what is that barrier? How much projection are you willing to give up for that scenario? And simulating that out and how often do you need to win in order to be profitable in, in those scenarios? Uh uh, Alex Santi says, this is why three three and five mans are more profitable than head-to-heads. Only reason to play the head-to-heads is for volume. Okay. I mean, I know, I know Alex does this. I mean, that's, that's, that's why I, I've been looking into this more of like, like, yeah, I say this in theory, but why don't I just do it in practice? Especially in baseball, where a lot of people use the same projections, similar projection sources, where I could easily project the lineups now, because it, and it's, and it's an, and it's a high variant sport where, and on any given day, Bryce Harper could outscore uh, Ronald Acuna. Where, where, where there's a, like on this 13 game slate, like oh everyone's gonna play Judge or something, or like everyone plays Byron Buxton and you play you play uh, someone else, Kyle Tucker. So like, like any of these guys could outscore. One guy could have a zero, one guy could have not 25 easily. In basketball, that doesn't happen, right? In basketball, it's it's not as it's not as likely as some random player going off. You could just switch out that that easily. So I want that. That's what I'm attempting to do. Daniel Hutchings says, "What you are describing is something I compute implicitly with my process. It's why you need to. Pl- it's why you need to play uncorrelated lineups with different frequencies to avoid being exploited in very small contests." Okay. So I'm on the right track. If Dan- is Daniel telling Daniel, you're telling me I'm on the right. Tra- I'm on the right track. It just had you accomplish it. So what I what I did yesterday. And I'll show you. I'll show you in, as an example in in lineup HQ for t- for today's slate, for instance. So let me reload this. Now I'm not going to pull in projection sources that aren't that aren't Roto Grinders, but you can if you'd like. I'm going to reload this. So let's 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 live in a world where, where, where here's the bat, the bat X projections. Let's live in a world where you're playing three mans, five mans, whatever, and a lot of people are going to be playing the bat optimal or something close to it. So I'm going to I'm going to click this. I'm going to see what what is the bad optimal as of right now. Obviously, no starting lineups are in, no umpire data is in. I mean, this is something that you'd be doing in about 10 minutes before lock, right? Not now. So I'm going to take a look at this. I'm going to go, "Okay, here's the bad optimal. I'm going to save this lineup to show it in here." Okay, if I can expect uh my my opponents, maybe in my three man to have Vogelback, Cruz, Sawinski, Acuna, Buxton, Ramirez. If I'm expecting to see this lineup, I know for sure I'm going to see this lineup or something similar to it. Maybe let's build 10 lineups. The 10, the top 10 bad optimals. And we're just assuming that if everyone used the same projections, okay? So now here, you get Sawinski in 10 lineups, O'Neill Cruz in 10 lineups, Manaya and Cortez in 10 lineups. Buxton in nine, Wilson Contreras in nine. Okay. So maybe 
Maybe someone plays this lineup. Maybe someone plays the next lineup, right? What's the difference between these two lineups? Okay, we got uh, Manaya Cortez, Rengifo. We've got Rose Ramirez. Is there any, what, what's the difference? Acuna versus Otani. Is that the only difference between these two lineups? I believe so. So basically, here's the lineup with Acuna at 115.18. Let's unsave that. And this one is 115.12 with Otani. This next one has Whit Merrifield at second instead of Rengifo and plays Brian Reynolds uh, instead of Otani or Acuna. So you're paying up more. So you're not paying 2200 at second base. So this is just a 2v2. Then this lineup has Trout in it. So it's very similar to the first one, just with Trout in the lineup. Right? Nothing else is different. You have Cruz, Sawinski, Vogelback. Here's a lineup with Sal Perez in there, right? So Winsky, Otani, Buxton. Like, these lineups all look very similar to each other, right? Here's Soto in this lineup, Story. But you still have O'Neill Cruz, you still have Sawinski, you still have Vogelback. You still have, here's Bader in this lineup, right? But all these lineups look very similar. But what's the common thread between them? Sawinski, Cruz, Manaya Cortez, obviously. Nine of 10 have Buxton. Nine of 10 have Contreras. Eight have Jose Ramirez. Eight have Vogelback. Seven have Ringifo. And then you get to five to Otani. And then you get a bunch of twos and ones. So let's just say, for instance, I'm gonna I'm gonna run I'm gonna run this like this. So we're gonna say we're gonna see we're gonna save this lineup. 115.18. Now let's say I don't play Sawinski. Okay, what's the best lineup, regardless of stacking or anything, that I could play without Sawinski, based on these projections? 114.57. So you're sacrificing 0.5 or so to not play Sawinski. And you're playing Bader. You're, you're playing uh, Buxton, Otani, Bader, Cruz, Ramirez, Rengifo, Vogelback, Contreras, Manaya, Cortez. Still, It still looks like these lineups. These are very correlated players to each other. We're going to have a lot of bucks. And maybe Bader isn't as correlative. So who's the next highest correlative player outside of the pitchers? O'Neill Cruz. So we're going to get rid of O'Neill Cruz. And what's the best lineup with that? Okay, now the, now the projection goes down a point and a half. Okay, so you're sacrificing those projections. Let's let, take a look at the lineup. Contreras, Vogelback, Rengifo, Hayes, Bogarts, Bader, Soto, Buxton. Okay, so now you're getting a little bit different. Still, you still have Contreras, still have Volgaback, still have Rengifo. You still have Buxton, right? But the less the less used players in here are Soto, Bader, Bogarts, Hayes. So now you're at a 4v4. Is this enough? Like, this is the question that you have to ask. Okay, I've sacrificed those. I'm not playing Sawinski and Cruz, but I'm still playing Vogelback. I'm still playing Contreras. Still, it's, now it's a 4v4 of batters, a 4v4 on the lineup because you're still playing the two chalky pitchers. Is this, should I be playing this lineup or should I be playing even more uncorrelated lineup? Maybe in a 3v3, maybe in a, a three-man, this is fine. Maybe in a five-man, it may not be enough. Maybe in a 10-man, it's it's too little, right? You need to be more uncorrelated. Maybe in a 100-man, you don't want a 4v4. You'd rather have a 6v6 or more. So that's what I'm trying to figure out of like, what level do you play? So like, let's say we went to the next most correlated player in this lineup, Byron Buxton. 112.97 right now. 
we get rid of Buxton, we don't really sacrifice that much projection. We get rid of what? 0.13? So that's no problem. I have no problem not playing Buxton now. Let's take a look at this lineup. We still got Contreras, Vogelbach, Brangifo. We get Ramirez back into our lineup. Uh, we have, uh, what, uh, Luis Garcia, Trout. So we're still at a four. We're still at a four v four. Contreras, Volgabat, Grimgifo, Ramirez, right? Everyone else is is lesser in lineups. I mean, it's not like Trout's going to be not owned, but lesser owned. So we're still at a four v four. So what happens if we take out Contreras now, right? Because I'm looking at who is in the top ten lineups or top twenty lineups, top fifty lineups, right? Okay, take out Contreras. He's a nine out of ten. So now I'm going to take out Contreras. One twelve point eight four currently. If I don't play Contreras, we go down to 112.46. Are you fine with only 0.4 projection difference to get rid of Contreras? I am. So now let's take a look at our lineup again. Still got the same two pitchers. Garver, Vogelback, Rangifo, Ramirez. We got Brian Reynolds in there now. Okay, he's not part of our top. I mean, he's in there as one out of 10. So that's not that's not as correlative. So now we're down to Vogelback, Rangifo, and Ramirez. So we have a now we have a five v five. If this, these are going to be chalkier players in your lineup, well, can we get even rid? Can we, how much more projection can we get rid of? Let's go to uh, Jose Ramirez. Get rid of him. One twelve forty six drops down to one twelve point two eight. Barely what a fifth of a point seems fine to me, right? I don't mind dropping that. So now we're down. Now we got Otani back in our lineup. Okay, so Otani, Otani is going to be a little bit because he came in five out of ten. So maybe I don't mind Otani that much. Garver, Vogelback, Rangifo, Hayes, Bogarts, Reynolds, Soto, Otani. Okay, so let's say we take out Vogelback. It's like okay, Vogelback is going to be chalk at first base based on this. So I'm going to he's going to a lot of lineups that have Vogelback will have other similar players in it. So I get rid of Vogelback. One twelve point two eight. Drops down to 112.2.08 difference in median projection. Bye bye, Daniel. Bye bye, Vogi. So I get Otani there now. I get Bader, Bobby Wicks in the lineup now. Rangifo is still there, right? So Rangifo is, is a seven out of 10 shows up. So let's see what happens when you get rid of Rangifo. We go from 112.2 down to. 111.96. So we're giving up about a quarter of a point. I'm fine with that. Sounds good to me. Okay, we're getting Merrifield now. We're getting Otani, Bader, Reynolds, Trout. Still got the same two pitchers. Let's say, how about let's say get rid of Otani? How much projection difference do we get rid of if we get rid of Otani also? 111.98. 111.71. I'm okay. Quarter of a point. Fine with me. Now take a look at this lineup. Cortez, Manaya, Perez, Kirilov, Merrifield, Hayes, Bogarts, Bader, Reynolds, Soto. You have no players. You essentially have virtually no players. Some of these players may be in one of the lineups that have like five of these guys in it. But you're not going to have like... People that have Harrison Bader in their lineup most likely have like Jose Ramirez in third base. And they have Vogelback at first base. And they have Contreras at catcher, Right? So this lineup is 111.71. Now, obviously, there's no correlation in the lineup. If you're playing larger field, if you're playing the 121, probably you're still playing a five-man. You take a look at this, 
and you go, okay, well, what happens if we don't play Cortez? Okay, let's see what the lineup looks like. 111.71. We drop only one point. So even if you wanted to get rid of if even if you wanted to get rid of Cortez, you could do that. But let's say you just keep the pitch. You whatever the most optimal pitchers you just keep. Like this lineup right here, we save it. Right? I'm gonna now I'm gonna bring everyone back. And what's the the, the bat optimal is 115.18. Save both lineups. Like basically all if so many lineups are going to look like this, maybe not exactly this lineup. Maybe they'll have Otani here. Maybe they'll have Trout. Maybe, you know, maybe uh, it'll be Brian Reynolds instead of Jack Sawinski. I mean, like, there'll be some combination, probably a 2v2 or a 3v3 off of this type of lineup. This lineup projects for three points, three and a half points lower or something. Yeah, it looks three and a half points lower. How often... Does this lineup, this lower lineup, beat this lineup? Okay? Because if this, if let's say this lineup, based on four points and three and a half points in projecting, let's just say, let's just make a case. This this lineup can't, is not, maybe 50, let's just say 55-45. I don't think it's that much. I think it's something more like 50, 52, 53, 47. Something like that. So if this lineup wins in a head-to-head battle 45% of the time against this lineup above here, which in a head-to-head is horrible. If, you would, if you're only getting paid as a head-to-head and you're playing a lineup that only wins 45% of the time, you're not profitable. Well, what happens if you're playing a three-man where you get double your money, right? You get you get 3X or, a, or can tuple up a five-man where you get 4X. It's like, well, if you could, if when this lineup beats this lineup, it probably beats, it most likely beats most of the 2v2s and 3v3s of this lineup also. Right? Right? If O'Neill Cruz and Sawinski, if, if, if three of these, four of these guys don't do very well, they put up three points, zero points, five points, and you could beat it out by 10 points or something. Like, even if they're playing a 2v2, if they're playing, oh, no, they're not playing Ramirez, they're playing someone else in this like most likely you beat most of the lineups that have the, this, this container of players, especially when all those players are correlated to each other in a lot of lineups in your contests. Alex says, what about everyone else but uh, Ringifo? I mean, you could, you could, I mean, you could, dude, you could do anything you want here. So like, let's say we did that. Just didn't play Ringifo. Right, but you're still getting you. Okay, you're getting Contreras, Vogel back, Ramirez, Cruz, Sawinski, Buxton. Like this is still just this is a two v two. Essentially, it's Reynolds and Merrifield that are different. To me, it's not different enough. I want to be. I want to. Uh, to me, why wouldn't having this? Because to me, three and a half points of projection, right? In in baseball, is not much. So why wouldn't I want to play? Why wouldn't I want to play the second lineup? In a three-man, not in a head-to-head. I'm not talking about head-to-heads, and I'm not talking about double-ups or 50-50s, okay? Double-ups, 50-50s, non-progressive payout contests, you want to play, you, you, you want to be duplicated, right? You, you almost prefer to be duplicated. It actually helps your equity. In, pro, in progressive payout contests, it hurts your equity, being duplicated, being correlative. Having your lineup being too correlative with the rest of the field. So is this good? Is this fine? 
if we were to simulate this out, if I were to build the top 10 lineups, like I just did, the 10 lineups that I did before that were just the 10 top 10 optimals of the bat, and then ran a simulation, how often does this lineup that I built that has none of those players in it, in total, beat those other lineups? And I'm assuming the distribution is going to be cur is going to be by bi- bimodal, if you want to say not really bimodal, more like curve like this, a reverse bell curve. There's not going to be a bell curve because if this lineup beats one of these lineups, it probably beats most of them. So when it does score well, it comes in first, second, or third out of ten. When it doesn't score well, it typically comes in eighth, ninth, or tenth. Rarely comes in fifth. Right. So if we actually simulated that out and if that is the case, wouldn't this be a more a much more profitable lineup to play in a field where you know what the lineups are going to look like? Maybe not exactly, but you know what they're going to look like to some extent. This is getting back to that to that poker explanation of how do you beat average players? Like if you could if you could predict how they're going to react what they're going to raise with, what positions, what what do they check here with? What do they, like, you can make, you can make better, you can make profitable decisions exploiting that. So people are more likely to be building lineups and they're, they're mostly just playing against each other. So it's like, okay, it's a three man and everyone's a 2v2 and whichever one's 2v2 wins and then you win. Is there a way to exploit that? I, I mean, I know, I know there is because people do do it. But what would be the best way of doing so functionally? Me yesterday, I didn't get this different. I only I like X'd out like two or three players. Taylor, I text out the, the players that actually did well. O'Neill Cruz, Taylor Ward. Right, they did well. And then played that lineup. And then I saw in my three mans and five mans that, like, yeah, now I'm still just a 2v2 or a 3v3. Right, I still, I'm still, I still basically have the same lineup, just with Jared Walsh and 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 someone else, and 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 Riley Green in my lineup. So I don't think I got different enough. Would I have won regardless? That, that's not the point that I'm making. I don't care about the result. Once I saw the lineups that were in the contest, I'm like, no, I did not get different enough. Fanduel, I got a little bit different enough, and even then, I didn't get different enough. I think BK Reader pr- pretty much had the same exact lineup that I had in those contests. So maybe he's doing something similar. So that's what I'm pondering here. Alex Santi says it's fine and plus EV, but is it max EV? Yeah, that that's the point that I'm making. It's not about whether or not it's plus EV. It's whether or not it's, it's if this would be high, if more higher expected value. The 2v2 has such a low dupe probably, but the rest of your lineup is still correlated with the rest of other people's lineups. Like just think functionally that like, if the, if, for instance, Jose Ramirez and uh, Daniel and Wilson Contreras don't do well, most lineups that have one or the have both of them. Not many lineups have only one. Like so many of lineups are going to have like five of these players in it. So if two out of the five do badly, like that's that kills like all the lineups, even if Jose Ramirez does do well. Let's say Jose Ramirez puts up 20 points. Okay. Let's say Jose Ramirez puts up 20 points. And let's say Byron Buxton puts up 20 points. 
Let's just say we're making up a scenario. But Rengifo has a zero, right? The Pirates don't do well. These guys have threes and fives or something. Contreras has a zero. It's like, oh, well, I don't have Ramirez and I don't have Buxton. And I'm competing in a five-man and three and two or three of my opponents have Ramirez and or Buxton. But they but they also have the zero from Rengifo. They also have the zero from Contreras because they're more likely to have those players in their lineups also. My lineup, like, dude, no one has these players. And it only this this lineup in whole only projects 3.5 points lower in median. So if Bogarts does well and Merrifield does well, none of the lineups have these guys in it. Soto Soto puts up the same amount of points as Buxton. Then what does it matter that Buxton put up 20? No, it doesn't. I already I got a 20-point guy in my lineup. Being that the lineups you're playing against are so much more duplicated and correlated to each other. To me, it would make more sense to play the highest projected lineup that correlates the least. The fact that Daniel says that this is, this is kind of part of his 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 algorithm. So I, I have to be on the right track. It's just a matter of how do I get there. I think Nerdy Tanner has a better way of getting there. He's a more precise way of getting there. But I think this way, I mean, even just simply doing what I just did. Assuming this is all assuming you can predict the lineups. Like I said, this is all based on the bat projections. You would what I would suggest if you wanted to really do it is grab projections from around the industry so you know what other people are doing, right? If people are playing this site's optimal and that site's optimal, they're playing an aggregate of all three together. And what does that spit out? Don't just spit out the top lineup, spit out the top five, the top ten. And then see what players between all of these lineups. You spit five from this. You spit five from that. You spit 10 for that. You have like 50, 50 lineups and you see what, what's the biggest overlaps between all of these lineups. And then you start Xing out players and making sure you're not dropping ridiculous amounts of projection. In the case that we just, it's a 13 game slate. So it's, it's, it's easy to find guys that also project well, because there's so many more options on a five game slate. Sometimes I want you take out trout and you drop three points in projection because there's no one else available. Maybe then you're just like, maybe I should still play Trout. Maybe giving up three points just for Trout getting out of my lineup isn't worth it. I don't know what that I don't know what that line is. That's what I'm that's what I'm trying to find out. Beatner TV says with the side is yesterday slate alter your decision making process. Would you have X'd out the same players? If it was a bigger not I would have done the same with that. I mean, I don't think I did enough yesterday. I X'd out. I, I think I should have been even more different, regardless of the results. Once I saw the lineups in my three mans and five mans, I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm 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 still just a two v two or a three v three. Like I want to be four. I want to be minimum a four v four. And the size of the slate matters only because the, the the opportunity cost. The smaller the slate, the less options. So the more you start Xing out good projected players, your projection is going to come down more and more because there's not as many options. We see with this lineup, it's like. Well, what's the difference between Soto and Buxton? Not much, but there's a lot more of those guys. I mean, like 5K outfielders, it's a 13-game slate. There's tons of them that all have the ability to put up points. Their projection difference is the difference between 10 and a half and 12. You have like 14 guys that have a projection between like 10 and 12 points. And everyone's going to play like two of them. 
And there's 10 that, that not many people are going to play because of a, of a quarter of a point of projection. Only because it's a 13-game slate. A four-game slate, how many of those players are there? There aren't as many. So maybe it's much harder. On a four-game slate, being an 8v8 is probably much harder. In order to be an 8v8 on a four-game slate, you're probably giving up 10 to 15 points of projection. And maybe then that's a little too much. Maybe then that's too Maybe then you're fine with a 3v3. But on a 13-game slate, why why shouldn't I why shouldn't I be playing this type of line? In three mans and five man. Remember, I'm talking about three mans, five mans, ten mans, stuff like that. Less than a hundred people, even a hundred mans. Less than a hundred. We're not talking about large field GPPs, and we're not talking about head-to-heads or double ups. Right. Those contests, your equity actually benefits from correlation. From correlated lineups, not correlation inside of your lineup. Daniel says, sounds like the bigger the slate, the easier it would be to execute this kind of approach. Yes. The only other question past this is that if you're playing, let's say, 100-man top 12 pay, would this be good enough or would you still rather have a stack? Like, we just X'd out, like, for instance, these correlated lineups, right? This lineup right here. So let's, let's X these. I'll show you what I mean. So once we X'd out the, the, the most correlated players, okay, where, where, are we, where are we going? Let's get rid of that. Well, actually, let's, let's put it back there just so we have a reference. Uh, where am I going? Go to my bill. Okay, these are saved. Okay, now I know where I'm going. Okay, so we X'd out those players. So let's X them all out, right? Let's get back to the lineup that, that we made. Byron Buxton, Contreras, Ramirez, Vogelback, Rangifo, Otani. All right, we, we should get that, that second lineup right now. All right, there we go. Okay, so we got it. But this has no stack in it. So, like, let's say you're playing the 121. Like, is this, should you just play this? Line? It's the least correlated lineup to the most, to, to the field. Or should you just play a five-man stack? Just five exit. Right, do something like that. Build one lineup. And just play this lineup. Because it's the least correlated lineup to the most used players. But it's also a five-man stack. So you're playing Cortez, Manaya, Kirk, Bell, Hernandez, Devers, Garcia, Bader, Cruz, Soto. That would be the highest projected bat lineup. So I, I save that. So which lineup would be better to play? Because this lineup projects for a point and a half higher, but it has like, it's it's it doesn't have really correlated two two. It's not really a correl. It's not a it's not a stacked lineup. Would you rather just play this instead, or is it the type of thing where this is the lineup that you play in three mans and five mans, and this is the lineup that you play in hundred mans and above? So you at least have a stack in there. Alex says I play four X and ten mans on Fanduel. That's what I did yesterday. I played the. I ended up with the Blue Jays. So that's what I did on Fanduel. But on DraftKings with five man, like would you do this? Or my intuition says that in three mans and five mans, you play this. You play the uncorrelated. You play just a non-stack lineup. But in like if you're playing hundred mans, you play the the 
Do you play the five man five and three one offs? You don't even play a five, three, just whatever. Cause this lineup is not correlated to any of these, these lineups up here anyway, anyway, right? I mean, like it doesn't matter. That that's what I would think. And then in the more progressively, remember three mans and five mans are still progressively paid out contests. They're just, they're smaller. They're the smallest field, 10 man. You could get away with playing some messy lineup in a 10 man contest and win one at a 10. You can play cash lineups practically, but let, maybe not in a hundred man, hundred man. Maybe you'd just rather have a stack, a five man on DraftKings, a four man, like four and just do four X on FanDuel. Like it doesn't have to be four, two or four, three, just four X, just like here in five X. Doug Montgomery says, I play FanDuel 100-man top 12 a lot. 4-2, I would say, is most popular. BK Reader, Reader uses a lot of 4-2. Okay. Daniel says, I could run a sim and see what it spits out, although it's not exploitative. Okay. And Alex says, in 120s, I usually run 4-3-X and 3-3-2s and 4-4s could come organically. Okay, that's FanDuel. But this is the problem. I mean, this is, to me, I enjoy these types of puzzles. Do I have the answers? I don't know. I think in theory I do. In practice, I don't know. But this is what this show is all about. DFS strategy. If we knew that our opponents are playing very similar types of lineups, what can we do to exploit that? In cash games, double ups and head-to-heads, there's really nothing you can do. If you believe they have a better projected lineup, you should you should be playing them. We talked about it yesterday about duplication. In non-progressive payout contests, duplication helps your equity. In progressive payout contests, duplication hurts your equity. And most, most people think in terms of duplication of the full lineup. But what happens to duplication of nine-tenths of your lineup? If one is true, the other has to be true as well, just mathematically. If two, if you're playing against two players, let's say we were playing against two players and one of your opponents in the three-man was playing this lineup right here, right? Vogelback, Kruy, like whatever this lineup is, which probably isn't even the, 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 the bad optimal. Well, let's just say they were playing this lineup and another and your other opponent was playing this exact lineup, but instead of Buxton, they're playing Otani. Do you want to, do you want to play? Oh, I'm, I'm going to get different. I'm going to play all the same players and, and then play Trout instead. If I knew that my other two opponents are playing the same exact players with a one B one, wouldn't my best bet at beating them all beating both of them at once is to play not play all seven of these guys. I'm not saying to not play any of the seven guys, but at least you wouldn't play all seven. You wouldn't duplicate that and be a one B one off. You'd want to be more different, less duplicative, but how much do you need that? That really, that to me, I, I, I believe I'm correct when it comes to the, to the, the duplicative factor that no, in three mans and five mans, you, you, you don't want to be a 1v1. You don't want to be a 2v2. You want to be like a 3v3 or more, but like at what what's too much? That I don't know. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Daniel Hutchins in the chat running Sims. Love to see it. Running 100 mans on yesterday's DK8 game main, my non-exploitive process 
gives the following stack percentages using the $10 100-man DK structure. A five-man stack, 82%. Stack four, 17%. So, like, I'm, I'm a... Yeah, so I, I think my... my That would mean that I'm right. That in 100-man, that, that essentially in three and five-mans and 10-mans even, you'd play the... The messy lineup, just that that lower projected that is the least correlative to other lineups. But for like hundred mans or above, play this play play that type of lineup just with a just with a five man stack or something. Okay, I think I think that I, th- I think that's what we're talking about here. Okay, so I, I need to I need to mix it up. That makes me want to go into my DK app and uh, and split it up. So I guess I'm making two lineups on DraftKings tonight. I'm going to try this out. This is so much. This is the thing. Also, from a time perspective, if I if 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 this is profitable, it could be just as profitable. Maybe yeah, I don't have a fifty k win or anything like that. But I also don't have to take that much time. Like this is the type of thing where I could do in five minutes, rather than spend an entire hour building one hundred and fifty lamps or something, or spending half an hour building three hundred lineups and then weeding and trimming and whatever. So like if there's an edge here, why not take advantage of it? If the time cost of it is, is low. You know what ends up happening a year or two from now? Everyone tries doing this. And then, then, then now you're playing a poker game. Now you're playing, well, who's going to play this and who's not going to play that. And, and then, then at that point, then you move on to something else. Daniel Hutchins is running the Sims on the three mans. Okay, I don't know if we have time for that. We have time for thummy thumbs. Give me those thummy thumbs on your way out the door. Some people aren't interested in this stuff. I saw some said like, oh, well, are we going to talk about the baseball slate? We're talking about, we are, we technically are talking about the baseball slate. And they're going to be breaking down all 13 games for you at five o'clock Eastern time. So uh, on this channel, Dean and the guys, then you got crunch time after that presented by FanDuel. Grant, two o'clock. On the Scores and Odds channel, 2 o'clock Eastern time, going over all prop bets. He found Andrew Benintendi, 25 to 1 to steal. Hope you guys uh, bet on that. I, I I can't legally bet in my state, but uh, that that seemed off to me, plus 2,500 for him to steal a base against uh, Noah Syndergaard, who lets anyone steal a base. Daniel Hutchins Sims says the three-man results are all over the place. Okay. So three man results I don't matter as much. Okay, so that 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 reconfirms. I think that that at least gives me a little bit more solace in knowing that you know my my intuition, my theoretical intuition is is directionally accurate. That yeah, the messy lineup in a three or five man is perfectly fine. No, especially knowing that you're playing against other lineups that are probably not stacked either. So does the correlation matter that much in the three mans and five mans? Probably not much. But that's that's a but that's a common concept in general. The smaller the contest gets, the less that correlation will matter as much versus the higher the the larger the contest gets. So it, it does make sense. It does does make some type of mathematical conceptual sense. So that's what that's what I'm going to continue to do. I'm going to do that tonight, and I'm gonna, this is the way I'm going to play MLB DFS at least for the foreseeable future. Uh, so I don't have to go nuts when I have to build like seven million lineups and build 8 million stacks and do leverage scores and do all of that, which is fine. I can be profitable that way too. But 
beating into my head of like, where are the edges? Where are the edges? Where are the edges? Find the edges, right? Find the high, the most profitable edges for the least amount of time. And then just find as many of them as possible. And add, that's the time that you add. So that's what I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to trying to do what I say, not what I do, or the opposite of that. Instead of just saying, well, I guess I'm just going to play 100 lineups on FanDuel today. Right? Which, which still, I'm still plus EV doing that. But maybe there's a better way of spending the time. Okay, so hit that thumbs up button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, hit whatever you want, and uh, and I'll be I'll be back tomorrow, right? I'm here all all the time, weekdays, eleven o'clock in the morning, Monday through Friday, answering your DFS strategy questions like I always do on the DFS pregame show on RotoGrinders.com. <laughs>